0: Hey, everyone, and welcome to KPC Underground. This is the podcast that we do that's just right underneath our stage here at Kirkland Performance Center. I'm here with Jeff, Executive Director of KPC. Hi, everybody. KPC. Hey, Aaron. How's it going, Jeff? It's good. How are you doing? I'm, I'm doing great. It, we're, we're, it's, it's a
1: Monday at KPC, and we're having yeah, a good one today. It's very a good this day. Is,
0: uh, this is amazing. We're really excited today to uh, talk about this podcast that we did with Mark O'Connor. More on that in a second, but I wanted to ask you, Jeff, We we got some you just came back from New York. You were at this conference with, you know, talking to all these, um, sort of new artists and we're sort of bolstering our, our upcoming spring season. Yeah. Matter of fact,
1: um, to, to all, to our listener (laughs) friends, our watching friends, um, I get asked all the time as executive director, how do we choose the shows here? Mm. Like how do you, how does that, how do you choose? That's a whole other conversation, but, um, there's a conference uh, called the association of performing arts professionals, AKA APAP that happens in Manhattan every year. And, um, um, so, uh, myself and David Bander, the, exe- the managing director here, we went to Manhattan and spent a week and then you meet with all of the agents, uh, from America, you know, um, yeah. Los Angeles, Nashville, New York city. And then you, um, spend a week talking to them in the different artist rosters and what would be, we're, we're in essence curating the season for the next couple of years mm. of what would be the best artists from our own mission Right. Um, values vision uh what we're trying to do that's a good fit for our own community for the reasons that they are sure. and then we spent a week back there doing that um for the artists that you will eventually see uh, throughout 23 24
0: 25 cool so we'll we'll be you'll you'll be hearing more about that um, and opportunity to purchase tickets and you know just keep your eye on the website kpcenter.org for all the info there but today we're going to be talking to I had the amazing opportunity to sit down with uh, Mark O'Connor, who is, if you don't know, an amazing virtuoso musician, violinist, composer, educator. But I had a great time sitting down with him, and you were you were there. You kind of sat in on the interview. Yeah, and, I was. Um, I
1: was watching the interview from just on the other side of this camera. Yeah, and then it was at the show that night. And you're right. Um yeah. Just as a person who's a musician and virtuoso, like you said, if it's got strings on, it, he can play it. Yeah. very well uncanny and yeah. it was just great to have him here that night and then um like yeah. you said to share a story about us being a young seattle yeah. a boy and being a virtuoso and um going to uh, to nashville yeah. and getting discovered and the rest yeah. that this um he was going on one path and this the trajectory that that took him uh through his life through music and yeah. what that's meant um was a pretty powerful conversation yeah.
0: Pretty incredible guy. First time I've met him and um, just was really great to sit down with him and get to know him a little bit. The interview turned out really great. I learned a ton and I think you will enjoy it very much as well. So without any further ado, please enjoy this interview with Mark O'Connor. Hey everyone, Aaron here. Welcome to the KPC Underground podcast. And today I am so excited to have Grammy winner, Multi-instrumentalist, guitarist, fiddle player, violin player, innovator, educator, and tonight's honored guest at KPC doing a show here tonight. We have Mark O'Connor. Round of applause, everyone. We've got, we've got, we've got one actual in-the-room audience member back here. Jeff's watching from the wings over here. So thank you so much for being here with us. Absolutely.
2: Yeah. Great. Great to be here with you, Aaron.
0: You know, I just heard your sound check, and uh, you and... Uh, your wife Maggie just doing a, a a duo show tonight, and sound sounds unbelievable up there. And um, obviously, you have a a command of you know several different instruments and things like that. But I I feel like he, uh, I can just sense the love you have for music, and specifically, you know, obviously your unique brand of that, which is an amalgamation of several things. So just I I just appreciate you being here. And I can just, uh, I can just, I I can feel the love tonight for sure. So thank you. Oh, thanks. Thanks
2: for noticing that. Yeah, (laughs) I do. I do love it.
0: Yeah. So as I mentioned, Mark is playing a show tonight uh, at at KPC. We're recording this in December of 2022. Uh, This will come out sometime in 2023. But hey, if you were at Mark's show, this is kind of a meta, like through the, through the internet time travel sort of a thing. But if you were at Mark's show, uh, please comment below. And let him know what you loved about uh, about his show, what your favorite part of the show was, and I'm very much looking forward to uh, seeing you perform here tonight. So great, thanks again. So you got started very early as a musician, and not only I mean a lot of people you know start learning when they're when they're young, but I think you have a pretty unique story in that you kind of got involved at a pretty high level professionally, let's say. Um, doing competitions and also, you know, paid gigs and things. What did you love so much about um, music and specifically fiddle and playing violin that made you kind of dive in so deep so quickly?
2: Well, I appreciate that question. Um, I really got my start uh, in Seattle, Washington, uh, where I was born and raised, and it was an unlikely place um, to find the fiddle. Mm, right uh, there, there happened to be a Texas fiddle legend uh, in the area. He had moved up from Texas, huh. and we met him at a local event, a very small event. And um, he took a liking t- to me. He noticed a talent that I had, mm. even as a beginner. Mm. And really, that's where my story starts. Um, and the fiddle was the the window into this, um, you know, uh, communication. Um, mm. Sometimes I refer to it where I can know tap into the layers of emotions Mm. that i was feeling as a child Mm. uh, but could never articulate it verbally and um and i was hanging around adults a lot uh you know playing with them and i was able to communicate with them through my instruments yeah and that was really a profound um Mm. start to music is that uh Um, I wasn't just hanging out with kids all the time. I was playing with adults. And then by the time I was 12 years old, professional musicians um, and touring the country. Right.
0: That's pretty wild. Wow. That's so profound that you, I mean, because I think kids, obviously, you know, I can remember when I was 12 years old feeling very deep emotions. The, the The kids feel all those things that the adults feel. They just don't often have a vehicle to express those feelings. So that's, I mean, that had to be, Pretty special to have access to kind of, um, you know, that that you know that language. I guess.
2: Yeah, to tap into you know, planet
0: music. <laughs> yeah, um,
2: was something that um, was very very important in my life and mm. for for many reasons. Um, I grew up in a a depressed neighborhood, um, you know, a really poor family household, mm-hmm. and music right away became the escape. Right. And um, I wanted, you know, as like every American wants and dreams of a better life. Sure. And um, I could start dreaming about that at that early age. My wow. music could take me there. Right. I could imagine music. I could mm. imagine and dream about being in a better place. Right. And, uh, wow. and that really led to my uh, creativity. Sure. Uh, hand in hand. Um, my creativity, my composing is largely about um, instrumental music. And and placing um, the subject in in a in a in an area of life or culture uh, that I didn't get to visit very often. Right. Um, mm. Being stuck at home as right. a kid, going to school, you right. know. Mm. So that vehicle um, was really important for me, and and it really opened up the world of music to me.
0: Right. Wow. Um, you know, I, I read a story that your mom took you to Nashville when you were maybe 14, 15, is that about right? Or was it earlier than that? 12. Tw- when you were 12. Yes. And then within a few days, you found yourself like at the stage uh, of the Grand Old Opry because word had gotten around that this 12-year-old kid, and I think, you know, it's so interesting to hear you talk about, because I think adults sometimes, they'll see that in, in a child, and it's not just necessarily technique. It's like, Whoa, you know, he's understanding something here. Obviously there's that deeper it's the reason we all play music, mm-hmm. you know. That's that's the reason we we all love it so much. It 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 does tap into that deeper thing. And I think it's unique when a parent sees, you know, it's like seeing a kid wear a tuxedo or something. You're like, "Wow, this kid is like, he, you know, he's on to something here." So my my question is, did you once you got access kind of to that professional world, did that change how you, uh, how you related to music, or did it did it complicate it, or did it just make it you know bigger and more interesting since you were around obviously you know professional musicians at that point, or how did that, how did that change how you viewed music
2: well I, I think at first I was shocked that there was so much interest mm. in um, what I was doing, right um, you know being a, a little bit isolated from the country music bluegrass and fiddling culture at large uh, in Seattle, um, it was really these amazing professional musicians in Nashville, for instance. I show up at age 12, end up sitting in with a couple of Roy Acuff's Smoky Mountain Boys at a small little club on 2nd Avenue, downtown Nashville. And then they started calling professional musicians (laughs) uh, to come and see me that night. I was just sitting in it, but they had me on stage the whole night. Vassar Clements came down to see me play. Um, and then by the end of that night, they were going to take me out to the Grand Ole Opry two days later yep. uh, to, to meet Roy Acuff. Yep. And, um, you know, I had some of the records and uh, um, I knew mm. that these were very big stars, but I was so young as well. But right. my, my, my music gave me confidence that mm. as long as I had a fiddle under my chin... I belong somewhere.
0: You, you could hang with
2: these guys. Right? Yeah,
0: yeah. And
2: if they were interested in hearing my tunes, right. I mean, and then here I am, you know, uh, backstage at the Grand Ole Opry in Royko's dressing room number one. Yeah. He, because he was the king of country music. And I'm standing right in the middle of his dressing room. It was crowded in there. And people would be coming in, you know, Ernest Tubb and all these, you know, Bill yeah. Monroe and all, all these famous <laughs> artists coming in to watch me play for a while. Someone would even join me. I remember uh, mm. little Jimmy Dickens, <laughs> um, you know, uh, started playing guitar with me. Um, and, uh, huh. and Royke of standing there just analyzing, you know, <laughs> my tune and my creativity and uh-huh. how I was playing their music, but a, with a little different bent yeah. already. And they were totally uh, inspired by that. Mm. And he put me on stage that night and gave me two solo spots wow. uh, on the <laughs> Opry. And uh, oh, my oh. life changed, right. you know. I, I right. show up in Nashville, and uh, as a twelve-year-old, and then I came out knowing that I was going to get to play music for the rest of my life. Yeah. That was really the big mm-hmm. message for me: is that I get
0: to do this. Right, right. Wow, that's amazing. What an experience. That's that's uh, incredible. I want to turn a little bit of a corner, and t- I mean, you 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 mentioned you grew up here uh, in was it Mount Lake Terrace, or and so you're familiar with kind of the Seattle area, obviously moved around you know quite a lot or, or whatever after that but my question is maybe a little more not not necessarily specific to Seattle but a little more esoteric in the sense that what relationship do you think location and geography has to do with creativity or or how does it inform your your creativity and specifically you know what I'm kind of getting at is um you know American music I think you know you're a Champion of uh, American music and obviously that is your wheelhouse and your genre, um, you know among other things, but I think you you definitely have a passion for that and how would you how would you describe that and, and what, do you, what do you think is important about location when it comes to uh, creativity? Well, I think
2: for most people um, who heard me uh, play for the first time, mm. Um, when I was 12 and 13 in the South, they could not believe that I was not from the South where it's the cradle of this music. Right. Um, and the culture goes back through generations. Um, so they were really, they found that very odd. Mm. Um, (laughs) luckily I had some great local mentors in Seattle. Mm. Like I said, Benny Thomason, um, he had come up here because his son was in logging and he just, you know, him and his wife visited their son. Mm. He liked the fishing and the weather. He had a you bad like back on. by that time, and he just said, "I'm going to stay here for a while." Okay, and yeah. he thought his fiddling days were over at huh. that point, mm. um, uh, but he wanted to retire, right? And uh, and of course, word got out that there was a local now a local fiddling legend mm-hmm. in our parts, and uh, Benny Thomason started teaching me not only lessons, um, uh, but all day long lessons and then wow. over the night into Sunday. So sa- all day Saturday and into Sunday every other wow. week that mm. went on for a couple of years. So I had incredible mentoring mm-hmm. up here. Um, so that really is a difference. Right. Um, but I think that, um, yeah, I think that, uh, today's uh, music students have it much better mm-hmm. because of mm-hmm. course the access to everything at their fingertips Sure. with us, um, we would, you know, hear about an artist. We would order their record through uh, ca- the mail, you know, order catalog. Sometimes it would take a month to get here. Right. Uh, so everything was, you know, drawn out. Right. Um, and uh, and mm. nowadays, I mean, you can, if you heard about, you know, me, you know, you can look me up right on the internet oh, yeah. and hear me within seconds. Yeah.
0: And your entire catalog. You it, know? Yeah. The entire catalog <laughs> yeah. as well. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's, that's amazing. I mean, I I think too, you know, I mean, I'm, I'm old enough to know or remember too, when you'd wait, you know, in line at the record store or whatever it was to get that. And, and I think maybe the, the, the good thing that it did was it inspired that, that sense of desire, you know, inside of you where it, it, um, you know, when you do have everything at your fingertips nowadays, it can maybe, you know, on, on the negative side, it can maybe, sort of inspire a laissez faire you know sort of like a, oh well you know I'll, I'll listen to that when I get to it you know mm-hmm. rather than you know all, all night all weekend long you know just blasting the, the this re- this new record that you that you got you know so i don't know there's there's good and bad things obviously Absolutely. with technology yeah. but um but yeah i mean kind of drilling down on the american thing um that's been a passion of yours as an educator and um, just an innovator with like, hey, why aren't we teaching uh, kids American music, especially when they're really young, especially when they're first starting out. What do you see as the kernel of what makes a song, other than it came from here, uh, an American song? So musically, what are some of the themes that you see there? And then what do you you love about that music so much?
2: I love American music and the the message that the fiddle was really at the forefront of it um, and creating American musical language uh, from the beginning. 400 years ago, right. the very first uh, American hoedown was created, Boil'em Cabbage Down. And that happened to be uh, a tune that I first learned um, on the fiddle as well. From there, you can you know use the tribut- uh, tributaries through all these mm-hmm. kinds of intersections that create American music. So without the fiddle without the hoedown and the breakdown, um, then uh, you wouldn't have been led to jazz music or mm-hmm. swing, or you wouldn't have been led to you know the, the wider known version of country music or rock and roll or even hip-hop and rap. It all is connected mm-hmm. to um, this fiddle music that goes back hundreds huh. of years. And I love being at the intersection of that. And right. I wanted to really uh, capitalize on that, even as a child. Right. Um, I was the one... You know, in the 1970s, which really is, is the era of my story, um, things were being, you know, really isolated. People wanted to divide the culture up. Yeah. You stay over there, we're over here. And I was constantly the one that was trying to bring right. people and things together, um, especially with diversity uh, of the music, and mm-hmm. use that as the reckoning, of right. the place where we gather and uh, commune and um and so I think that uh, American music—that's one of the most important factors of mm. it—is bringing people together, mm. creating communities.
0: Right. You know, along those same lines, you know, if if you look at a list of your collaborators, you know, it's it, it's everyone from you know, you know, classical, traditional classical um, musicians and composers and things to um, country artists to bluegrass to blues to folk and. You know, I there there is. I mean, I think you, you know. You mentioned there there used to be. I think there still is kind of that tendency with musicians, no matter who they are, to compartmentalize and go. Here's you know. Here's here's your lane. Stay you know, stay in this lane. Whatever it is, classical music. Here's what you're allowed to do. Here's what you're not allowed to do. And um, I guess two two parter is a uh, question is why do you think that is? Why why do people sort of gravitate toward genres. And how were you able to break out of that and and talk about your passion for kind of integrating different musical styles?
2: Well, I was always curious as a young Mm. musician. Um, There was a a big division in the 1970s, even between old time music and bluegrass, a really stark division. Today, you wouldn't even imagine that. I mean, it's all fused and mixed together. Um, But I was one of those people that kept, you know, insisting, Mm-hmm. I remember one of my first recordings for Rounder Records where uh, everybody was telling me and advising me, now keep your old-time fiddling separate from that bluegrass because <laughs> that bluegrass is going to harm and you know hurt right, your, right. your fiddling. Um, I put it on the same recording. <laughs> I had the bluegrass intentionally, song like, and intentionally. Yeah. I had the old-time fiddle song, right. and I was just mixing it up. Right. That led me to swing and jazz, and mm-hmm. Stefan Grappelli being my second and most... Um, uh, important and famous teacher. Mm. Um, and I toured with him and and uh, at age 17 and 18. Mm. And here's someone who really had little knowledge about bluegrass music or American fiddling, being from Paris, France. But we totally connected mm. um, with the repertoire, with the style, and uh, we just fell in love um, with the music that we played uh, together. He became my mentor, taught me a bunch of things. Mm. And taught me about how to be a worldly musician, mm. um, and it was a passion. I saw that passion um, um, even at this point when I'm, I'm just you know 61 years old. Um, I met him, and he started teaching me at 71. It was <laughs> like he had a new career, right? Um, mm-hmm. And people were just discovering Stefan mm-hmm. Um sometimes for the first time. A lot, a lot of people were discovering him for the first time, and that gave me uh, the idea that I'm gonna. This is a long journey. Right. I'm gonna be mm. here for a long time. Yeah. And so I set myself up for uh, this journey that it included mm. creativity, composition. I wanted to bring in uh, my American musical influences into the classical music setting. So my work with Yo Yo Ma, right. um, but my early bands uh, that um, that were so uh, iconic, um, the, the Dregs mm-hmm. and the David Grisman Quintet took me on as a teenager, and so I learned from those band leaders right. and uh, and mm. the, their great um, skills as uh, composers, um, and uh, and just you know musicians on the forefront mm. of this new fusion of American instrumental music mm. that I just loved, you know?
0: Yeah.
2: And um, it's, it's one of the great things I've ever done is being a part of this idea that um, there could be a kernel, uh, a seed right. planted from the fiddle itself, and then, you know, grows into this, you know, beautiful tree with branches yeah. and leaves and uh, reaching towards the sky. You right. Know? And uh, the inspiration
0: of um, a better tomorrow. Right. Wow. That's beautiful. I think, you know, the, the theme of sort of mentorship, you know, has come up a couple times and I think that might be a key thing. One of the things we like to do with this podcast is, is education and music education. And I think if you are open to it and that's, that's the key thing. And, you know, that's maybe a benefit of starting out so young is you kind of, you almost had no choice, but to just sort of, your, your mind was just kind of an open book and you remained that way. So when you, when you, Came upon people who were maybe different than you, or whatever. You're like, wow, who, what do I have to learn from this person? This is a new, this is a new experience for me. And then that just added to your own, you know, creativity and inspiration. Well, these the, the fiddle contest that I entered early on. Yeah, yeah.
2: I mean, I was competing against the very folks that were showing me tunes offstage, you know, right. and coaching me and, right. and uh, schooling me. Right. You know? And then I would go in the mm-hmm. contest and often beat them. Right. Um, it was so unusual for them, too, because I was really mm-hmm. um, the first accomplished young fiddler right. mm-hmm. um, in the country. Uh, now there's a lot of young fiddlers. Mm-hmm. Um, and,
0: uh, and some of that access to the music, I right. think, that we were talking about with the modern age... Well, I think that's, I mean, that's a, I I guess just as an action item for somebody out there who's listening, it's like, wow, you know what? You have the world at your fingertips. There are, there are resources out there. Um, go out there, learn as much as you can about different styles of music and everything. And, um, to that point, before we let you go, I wanna I, I wanted to ask you about this memoir that you have yes. coming out, and also album that's coming out in uh, in 2023. We'll have um, it here tonight as well. Yes, we'll have it here tonight yeah. for those people um, listening. Talk to us about the memoir and when it comes out and what what that's all about.
2: Well, I've been wanting to write my story down for uh, a number of years, and I've tried with a couple of different biographers, and. Um, I just didn't have the time to really you know, put the passion into this. Mm. I mean, obviously, uh, a biography uh, from a musician is a work of art. And like a- anything I do, I really want to put my full you know, heart and soul into it. Sure. And I just didn't feel like I was there yet. Mm. And when the pandemic came, um, we, were, uh, we were putting on concerts from home. Yep. Uh, much like sitting here with we, we had three cameras that's in our a, living room. That's what we did
0: too. <laughs> and uh,
2: we started broadcasting concerts. Yep. And about ten in, um, you know, we're going. We're, we're going to keep this going because we can't. We we can't play live concerts. Right. And um, I started talking about stories about uh, you know mm. my old days in music coming up, and people started to comment saying, "You've got to write these stories mm, down." Mm. And so I revisited the idea of writing my autobiography. Right. And especially the young years is, is so unique, uh, mm-hmm. being a, uh, a traveling child musician on the road playing with these, you know, superstar right. <laughs> musicians. I mean, uh, you know, Jim and Jesse and the Virginia Boys and uh, J.D. Crowe and the New South and all these, you know, iconic yeah. players taking me on yep. uh, to play with them. And um, so uh, once I got, once I found my writing voice, which Mm. was really, I just needed the time to figure that out. My mother had kept all my scrapbooks, all the newspaper clippings. I started to research those with all my new time off, (laughs) with nothing else (laughs) to do. And so I started to research into my own childhood. And I never Uh, thought about doing that because I remembered a lot. Um, But I needed to do a little bit more and to really fill in the gaps. Then the story started writing itself. Mm. Um, We're gonna have a companion all photo book. My mother was an incredible black and white photographer. Uh, and we're going to have a wow. companion CD of early childhood recordings. Uh, my mother taped, for instance, uh, taped the very first day I ever picked up a fiddle. It's on tape. so <laughs> so um, listeners will get really the picture of what it's like being this a prodigious child musician. Yeah. How I learned all these, other, uh, all these, you know, diverse instruments and then put it, put it together um, to really um, to create a musical journey that's, uh, I think, like no other.
0: Wow. Wow, that's beautiful. The, the memoir is called? is called
2: Crossing Bridges. Crossing Bridges. February 10th is the release. Okay, great. And uh, we're going to be at the Triple Door in um, oh, Seattle on March 16th uh, to have a party and a release um, appearance, and we invite people to come.
0: So if you're listening to this before March 16th, 2023... Get your tickets now if if it's not already sold out. Is I imagine limited uh, limited tickets available at the Triple Door. We love the Triple Door, amazing uh, venue in Seattle. And then there's also an album coming out. Is that a companion to that, or we, that's just separate that you have coming out with? Uh, we, your wife so Maggie? we
2: ordered some new uh, so some of the uh, archival CDs, and they're here tonight. Yep. Uh, so we're, so the audience tonight here at mm-hmm. uh, Kirkland Performing Arts Center. It will be the the first ones to ever get the CD yeah. and get it and Amazing. hear it. Um, so uh, Maggie, my wife, um, Mark and Maggie O'Connor, will have a new album coming out after the first year as well, yeah. called Life After Life, and uh, it's it's another project that I wrote and produced during the pandemic.
0: Yeah,
2: and we're really excited about it. Maggie's a wonderful fiddler and singer. And yeah, um, I was oh,
0: listening in soundcheck, and just wow! Yeah, she's yeah. Tr-
2: tremendous. And uh, so we do a lot of singing, and I'm pl- doing a lot of guitar playing on it, yep. as well as all the strings. And uh, we produced it um, in Nashville. We had a great rhythm section. Uh, Dennis Crouch playing bass on it, who's you know who plays on the new Robert Plant and Alison Krauss mm-hmm. album, and and uh, just fantastic. Um, you know, I got to uh, co-write with Joe Henry for three of the mm. songs. And so it's just another chapter yeah. of my musical output. I'm really excited about it. Yeah,
0: that's amazing. Okay, lastly, what can you tell us about this white violin, uh, this little white fiddle?
2: So in my memoir, I talk about um, the, uh, acquiring this white fiddle, the old white fiddle. It's painted with an enamel coating of paint. My teacher, Benny, uh, found it in a barn as a barn decoration <laughs> just south of Seattle a couple of hours he went fishing with his neighbor, and um, he was going to use it as parts. He traded a fishing rod for it. <laughs> and before he dismantled it, um, he uh, glued it up, um, found some pegs and and cut a bridge, cut a soundpost for it. and it was an, it was a cannon. It huh. was one of those magical instruments, and it's just unbelievable that it, it hung in the barn you know collecting uh mildew
0: and al- algae yeah. you know for years that's part of the sound maybe or and I'm maybe sure. yeah. and
2: it is just and it always sounds like that so i grew huh. up uh entering fiddle competitions winning the national fiddle championships and the grand masters fiddle championships on the white fiddle the uh-huh. old white fiddle yep and uh and i talk about in the memoir how you know people could hear the kid from Seattle from clear across the field right <laughs> uh, they knew that the kid was there uh, yep. because the fiddle was so loud it was twice as loud as all the other yep. fiddlers instruments
0: yeah and that and that fiddle makes an appearance in uh, in your show tonight is that right yes yeah i was i was listening during sound check and you know mark comes out to the front of the stage and does this kind of off mic thing and it is it is as loud <laughs> as when you're on mic with the other uh, with the other instruments, it's it's uh, it's quite a thing. So.
2: It's amazing. Yeah. A friend of mine had a Stradivarius, and we, there, was a, there was a collection of players sitting in a circle, and we passed the Stradivarius around so each of us could play it. And, you know, that's a great opportunity. Yeah, right. uh, yeah. And then I thought, you know, I had the white fiddle with yeah. me, so I, I put it in the line. So it was yeah. I followed the Stradivarius right. around the circle, and most of the players their eyebrows raised when they picked up the white fiddle like it was it was louder it it had a bigger sound than the Stradivarius. Isn't that
0: interesting and that's sort of apropos of maybe uh of maybe your story in general isn't it That, that just this kind of um this this uh you know this love for this passion for American music ordinary music you know let's say and um and then finding um yeah, finding a lot of depth and creativity and uh, and beauty there as well. So um, that's that's really something. Thank you so much for sharing that. And thank you for sitting down with us and and chatting with us today. Thank you. Uh, I'm going to let Mark go. He's got to get ready for his show tonight at KPC. If you were here, comment. Tell him how much you love him. Uh, we're going to keep telling him that. It's a sold-out show here tonight. No uh, standing room only. I'll be standing. I'll be walking around with the camera tonight. But um Thanks again uh, so much for joining us. If you want to uh, follow and support Mark and his music, you can go to MarkOConnor.com. Uh, that's his website. Anywhere else they can find you? Or is that, the best, is that the best spot?
2: Yes. We talked a lot about music education. I have a whole series, The uh, O'Connor yep. Method. So yes. the TheOConnorMethod.com is where you go okay. to find everything about the education yes. of music and how I teach it through yep. those book series.
0: Yep. That's beautiful. Thanks again, Mark, and uh, be sure to also follow uh, at KP Center for all the amazing events we have coming up here, and um, we will see you all next time. Thanks for joining us for KPC Underground. If you're enjoying this podcast, please consider supporting KPC at kpcenter.org slash donate. Your generosity helps us keep this and other programs going at Kirkland Performance Center. Be sure to check out our website for the latest events coming up. And hey, we'd also love to hear from you. Please rate our podcast, like, subscribe, comment, do all that stuff. And if you have a specific question or an idea for a show, email us at podcast at kpcenter.org.